Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We might not think that teenagers are capable, but I think 100% they are. They're capable of having empathy for the position the parents have as well in terms of wanting their success. The worst thing we could do is to simplify the situation. And I see that's the most common response that I get from people when we talk about eating disorders. We treat teenagers like balls of disaster, whereas they have so much potential. Empowering them is always gonna overcome that negative hurdle that is associated with being a teenager. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. My guest this week is an extremely talented performer and teacher. Not of the usual sort, however. His teaching does not take place in traditional classrooms, but rather in exciting dance studios. Although trained in ballet, lyrical, hip-hop and jazz, his life is really all about salsa and Latin dance. Based in Melbourne, Australia, he juggles a busy schedule of home and international teaching and performance commitments, as well as working on his own professional development and home city dance projects. While sharing his unique style of salsa all around the world, as well as teaching and touring, my guest is also impressively the creator of two professional dance teams and the recipient of countless industry awards. His main philosophy in dance is based on developing an understanding of the intricacies around salsa music and being able to better represent the complexity of this music in comparison to more mainstream dance music. He strives to educate dancers about the power of musicality and the representation of the music through the use of appropriate body movement. More recently, he has been striving to lead more meaningfully in his professional role. Inspiringly, he partakes in two main initiatives in the hope of giving back to his wider community. The first project he is involved with provides free online dance classes to people in Iran. With this project, he aims to fight against some of the limitations that the youth and the dance enthusiasts battle in Iran. His second initiative is one in which he uses dance to raise awareness towards eating disorders. He himself has been a sufferer of eating disorders and has decided to bravely start publicly speaking and raising awareness about this largely unspoken issue among his peers. I am honored, thrilled, and delighted to be able to speak to our guest about his most inspiring story of resilience and triumph over facing some great challenge. A very warm welcome to Artia Zandian. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I'm hugely grateful to have you, not only because of my own personal love and affinity to dance, but because of how fascinating you are as a person and what a role model you are to people of all ages. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. That's such a beautiful intro. That's uh, way beyond my expectations. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. 
No, well, you deserve it. You really are a special person. And I, I'm so grateful that you, you've come to talk to us because all people love music and dance. But I think your experiences with it have been extremely touching and I would love to share your story. It seems that you've always had an innate interest for music and dance. You're born in Iran's capital city of Tehran, as I said in the introduction, and you had your first taste of music and dancing, but not in the traditional sense. You were inspired by watching your dad break dance in the living room, nonetheless, and listening to Western music. It sounds like a really fun way to be introduced to dancing and music. I know it would be my child's worst nightmare to watch me dance in the living room, but I'm so thrilled to hear more about how your dad sparked your interest in this area. My dad's actually American born and American lived in America and, and um, he, he came to Iran and, you know, um, later on got married to my mom and and so I, I grew up with my dad and he he was very westernized like he wasn't um he wasn't traditional iranian in any way um so so i always had this like big dichotomy of like my life at home versus my life in the society and obviously in iran there's no dancing and 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 you know there's no no sort of like you know forms of expression and stuff is quite quite you know um limited but yeah at home i always like i was exposed to a lot of like music and dance and my dad uh, is, is is was all about that sort of stuff so that's how i kind of got into it and it was always exciting because it was like a it was like a thing that we did rather than like a thing that was popular in the in the community or society and stuff like that yeah yeah like a secret fun pack that you had with your dad yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the older I got, that kind of the more uh, serious I got about it. I remember like it was when um, the the Step Up movies came out and <laughs> I was like in the streets of like in in because in, in Iran, like, you know, dance is quite limited. Any form of expression is quite limited and forced down. But yeah, I do remember going to parks and practicing breakdancing on, on the grass and trying to do moves and stuff like that. But yeah, good, good times, good times. It's, it, it, it's humbling remember like how it all started yeah yeah so, so there's your first kind of interest and that's as far as how it starts and then you're growing up in Iran like you say and you realize that actually this is more than just fun it's a real deep love and an interest you've got in music and dance and you were not inspired though by the ceremonies and the, and the street dancing or whatever that was happening around you but by a world that was quite far away removed from yours because western dance and hollywood dance moves are definitely a world apart from what you were experiencing in Iran and Hollywood movies became your sort of inspiration. Tell me what were your favorites and who were your role models growing up? Uh, yeah. So in Iran, because everything's quite censored, what people do is they have these like these satellite dishes they set up and they're like completely illegal, but they set up these satellite dishes on top of their, their, their on the roof of their house. And they basically get access to these like censored channels, um, uh, overseas and uh, dancing with the stars and so you think you can dance and watching those shows and I'm like whoa I want to like grow up and go on one of those shows um, one day yeah um, so <laughs> that's where we all got our inspiration but I mean when I was in Iran I wasn't doing any kind of partner dancing in Iran was just getting inspired by like step up movies and, and, and dancing with the stars and all that sort of stuff all the like really like classic TV kind of 
shows were where our or our inspiration and would like with screen recorder or recorder and then go to park and show each other have you seen this have you seen that it's, it's just it's an interesting experience in comparison to like the western countries because here you have like you have established dance schools you have established academies you have performances you have audiences you have shows you have you know performing arts like courses and all that sort of stuff but in Iran you don't so everything that you do is like your own creation of it and it was when you realized how serious you were about dancing that you decided to move away from Tehran and go to Australia to be with your biological mum you moved there at a very sensitive age can you talk us through what it was like in high school in high school I auditioned for rockers that fits and stuff like that and um again this is very very sad but i think there's a there's a massive connotation that you know only gay guys dance or dancing is gay for for, for boys or for men um obviously i don't think there's as much of that for the for the girls um for for young girls i think it's a lot more accepting to be able to dance but for for guys especially it tends to be it tends to be more popular amongst the gay community than than it is amongst the straight community and and i mean gay or straight at the end of the day we just want everyone to come together and have a bit of a dance and have a good time uh but yeah definitely there are definitely hurdles definitely like it was definitely hard to play sports and dance at the same time <laughs> it's definitely hard to click in with both of those crowds you know what i mean were you actually bullied and teased by others a hundred percent. I had the worst high school experience ever. I had the worst high school experience. I just come from from a third world country where you had to act all gangster and like you know be all be all in people's grill to like you know assert your dominance or else you were gonna be like you know bullied and then and so I was I was quite un like I didn't understand the Australian culture. I didn't understand the banter, the humor, the the culture. So I didn't fit as well. And in the process, yeah, of course, I was like, I was exposed to so much bullying and so much racism and so much, like, so many things about my dancing, and you know. And yeah, but, but you know, you kind of grow up and you understand that, like, that's a big part of the Australian culture is, is the way they show love and the way they, like, connect is by being able to pay each other out and and at least in high school it was like that but i think as someone that comes from a different culture it's really hard to be able to digest that and go actually it's, it's like i can i can pay them out back and it's not because they hate me like it, it and, and this is i think a big thing about the australian culture is is it's it's very much built around banter calling each other things and that's how you actually connect with someone especially that was my experience in school yeah I mean really I find that so remarkable really that you spent all this time just trying to digest culturally what's going on differently for you in a new place and where you came from but then to not conform and and do exactly what you think they should be doing but you kind of pursued the career of dancing or you carried on your passion for dancing despite all the you know difficulties around being socially accepted i think so many young teens are very very influenced by what other people think of them so might give up on their true passion in order to fit in and again i think that's a massively big you know applause to you for, for sticking through it but and, and then showing everybody what a great sort of success story you are anyway today but also the fact that 
you didn't let it get you down. Like, you know, and I'm going to get into the next bit of the heartache that obviously your teen years might have mentioned with mental health. But it, there's so many detriments that happen to young people when, when they're not looked after. Did you have support when you were going through all of this? Now, looking back, I, I understand the situation a lot better. I think I, I was, as much as I didn't have support going through all that sort of stuff, I was also very excited because I was at a place where my, like, I was able to, like, do whatever sport I wanted. I was able yeah. to follow whatever I wanted, do whatever homework I wanted. Like, like those things were also, those, so as much as it was difficult, it was also very exciting coming from a different culture. And because, you know, in Iran, you grow up with like, you don't grow up with the facilities and with the education system that you have here in Australia or in the Western country. You don't, you don't have soccer field. You don't have basketball courts. You don't have tennis courts. You don't have, uh, you know, dance studios. It's not that. It's like, if you want to play basketball, you have to travel like, like 40 50 meters and there's like one on this side of the town and one on the other side of the town like it's not it's not an access thing your way of coping with it was to be looking at the greater good and accepting the fact that actually you were being liberated yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm saying this just to say that like as much as it was difficult it was also exciting at the same time to be be coming to australia in terms of like the acceptance things I was never accepted. That's <laughs> why I kept doing what I wanted to do. Because <laughs> I was never like, I was never part of, like, I actually never fit into any of the groups in school. Like I had one friend throughout high school and we were only friends because we played basketball at lunchtime together. Yeah, and, and I, <laughs> that's the worst idea. But there, on, on, on a positive note, actually, now reflecting back on it, I was, um, I was introduced to this uh, cultural minority group called the Baha'is and the Baha'i faith. And they were really loving and supportive. And they, they actually ran a salsa, a, a, a charity or, or, or a community salsa event to bring people together. And that's actually how it all started. And that was the first place I did feel a bit of acceptance. And that's probably what led to me going down that path. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like we follow, especially if you, if you come from a place where you're not very commonly accepted or very often accepted then we we chase that validation we chase that acceptance we chase that group identity that we can attach to and feel a part of something and i think dancing was probably the first place that i that i found that in whatever even when i was in university the reason i didn't feel as well because i loved my studies and everything the dance community gave me this this validation and the support that i never felt anywhere else you know what I mean? Completely. Um, and that validity, that being validated, being accepted, being part of something, that sense of community is a hugely important part of growing up. And even as adults, we seek it. So, gosh, as a young person, I can only imagine how challenging that must have been for you. I think with kids that have more accepting, loving you know, upbringings, those things tend to be a lot less detrimental to them as, as kids who grew up who didn't have stable attachments to their parents. So that leads me on to a slightly more serious question about speaking of having the detrimental effect. You yourself today are a real advocate of teen mental health. So I know we certainly sort of geared the conversation a little bit around that because it's such a prevalent part of growing up at the moment. And as I mentioned earlier, you have suffered from eating disorders and that's something you speak quite openly about. Would you mind telling us how old you were and sharing with us how it manifested itself yeah sure um 
First of all, I'd like to always start anything that I talk about in terms of eating disorder and stuff like that. It, it, I, I really like to start with the fact that I'm not a professional uh, in terms of, I'm not a mental health professional. Like I'm all, I can only share my experiences. And I think it's really important to say that because sometimes I feel like people who do experience mental health issues or or coaches or people who are in support roles tend to overstep their ability to over, overstep their boundaries in terms of what they're qualified. So everything that I am saying to today is just my personal experiences. I, I had a really, really tough and rough upbringing. I uh, obviously didn't have my mother when I was growing up and my father suffered with a lot of mental health issues and, and drug abuse and violence and domestic abuse and all that sort of stuff. And I think growing up, I never understood the implications of it because I, I did have a strong external family, but my internal family was, was, was very problematic. So in terms of like food, I think food was one of my very few escapes in life. It, it, like I associated food with like, with safety and the downtime and not having to be anxious and worried about external threats and, and, and stuff that I went through. So uh, subconsciously, I, 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 I formed this relationship in my, in my brain where, where food was an escape, food was emotional regulation, food was comfort. I, I do think there's a difference between comfort and, and escape. Uh, yeah, I, th I think in my case anyway, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a lot more than just the comfort thing. It was my emotion regulator. It was like just to be transparent. I, I struggle with, with a condition called BD or binge eating disorder. And it's most of the times related to some sort of dissociated behavior, which, which means that you don't actually, you're not present not mindful when you're when you're eating and then what tends to happen is that when i became an artist and when i became a dancer and my appearance was one of the most heavily criticized kind of factors then i tended i kind of went into like bulimia behavior of like purging and trying to like throw it up and all that sort of stuff which is taken a long time for me to like muster up the strength to even talk about it like it's it just there's so much shame associated with it. It's just so ridiculous. Let me just preface this by saying how hugely brave of you this is. I know, Artia, this is a very tender and raw topic and it can't be easy. It takes a lot of courage for someone to talk about something that must have been so deeply painful. So I want to thank you for bringing this story and, your, and shedding more awareness on the area. And also, yes, of course, I don't want anyone to think that neither you nor I are any sort of professional in this field. We are only bringing a story to the forefront and it's your journey that we're exploring, nobody else's. We just hope that it can shed some light on others to help. And the thing about it was when I was a teenager though, and this is, I think, one thing that I think would be of value to the people who would be listening to this podcast in one way or another, is that when I was a teenager, I never understood what was going on. I never understood that my eating behaviors were as a result of what I had been conditioned to, to go through. I, 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 I kind of just always put it under the fact that I was weak or I didn't, like, I didn't have enough self-control. And my parents 
not blaming them at all had like and when I moved to Australia, my mother and my stepdad not having any sort of expertise or any sort of understanding around how to deal with such an issue tended to be quite, you know, sh- shaming a little bit the, the, you know, the process. And the one thing that I always talk about when I talk about eating disorders is that the worst thing I think we could do is to simplify the, 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 the situation, right? And I, and I see that's the most common response that I get from people uh, when we talk about eating disorders, right? And and I, I I started a few years ago talking about this publicly when I did get a bit of a following, and I and I felt like I needed to talk about it. And when I when I when I when I talked about it, I think I got like ridiculous number of people who reached out to me and said, actually, you know what? I'm struggling with that as well, and I I've experienced that as well, and and um, I don't know what to do, and blah blah blah. So that it, it's such a big problem, but the problem is it's it's so hidden in our society, in dance community. In fact, I think one of the reasons that I felt compelled to come on this podcast and talk about it is that so many kids, and I think it's better now, but so many kids growing up in ballet classes, growing up in classical dance classes have been, like have, have had their, their dreams crushed and their, their, their self-confidence crushed, their acceptance of themselves crushed by these ridiculous ballet measures that you have to look a certain way. And then, and if, if, you, if you're not skinny enough, you're too fat to be a ballet dancer. And, and, and dance, especially, especially, and this is, I'm, all, I'm directly attacking the ballet community because I think they, they do such an awful job of putting expectations on young girls and I've wor- I've been very fortunate to work with a, with a lot of incredible dancers and my own partners, my dance partners, my my life partner. So many people that I've seen in the industry going up in these environments where perfectionism is preached, and ballet is all about perfection. It's like the, the most amount of turnout, the most amount of height in your legs, and the best posture, the, the skinniest, the the smallest waist. Those and you know obviously eating disorders. From my understanding, most of them go back to some sort of dysmorphia, which means that you are unhappy with the way that you look. And if the people that you look up to and the people that are put in the position of influence are feeding you unaccepting things, you know, like, like, or, or, or telling you that your dreams are impossible unless you look a certain way, it, like I can't even tell you how how crushing it is to people when you see them carried into the thirties, into the forties, like because we work with adults, right? And 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 even industry leaders, so many of the industry leaders have gone through it and expect that. I obviously my experience doesn't relate to growing up in in ballet classes. I never got to do that, but but um, I'm still really moved. Gosh, I feel I feel so overwhelmed with what you've just said and. Gosh, I, I almost, you know, I'm welling up thinking about the difficulties that kids are facing anyway in life. And then to have an outlet like dance or something creative, but then to be told that actually physically you also don't look right. And things that like is absolutely out of their control. Like you got your hips are too big or, you know, this is too big or that is too big or you're not skinny enough or you don't have enough turnout in your foot or you don't have the best feet you know what I mean? And it's, it's obscene. And I, I just have such a such a big personal problem with it because I've just, um, and, you know, and I, um, 
how did you finally realize that you will need some professional support? So for me, it's been a bit of a journey. It's been a bit of a up and down journey of like having having years that I felt really good and then having years that I felt really difficult, like really struggled with it. Obviously, I got, I, I've I've seeked professional help for it um, in terms of the avenues of support. I mean, you have your psychologists, you have your psychiatrists, you have your inpatient eating disorder programs. Sure, but. As you said, though, that your parents weren't equipped and no fault of theirs, they just... Yeah, I, 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 only, I only got help as an adult. I only got help once I was an adult and I was like, well, this is something that I've carried throughout my entire youth and I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't understand why I'm repeating this behavior like this and this right. is not normal. Well, and, I'm not, and I was like, I'm not capable of changing things on my own. So I, I seek that to get help and then I was like, Okay, well, this is what's going on. Um, this is what it is. And once it's real, then it's, it's you're able to deal with it. But once you don't know what's going on, and, and this is, was the hardest thing for me, is that I never actually thought about it. I never thought about it as an eating disorder. I never thought about it as, as having an unhealthy relationship with food. I always associated with, like, weakness. So I, it, it's, it's really hard to explain. It, it feels like something that happens to you, but you don't know what the hell is going on so full of admiration for you Artie because the ability to go and seek professional advice as an adult and, and you're still very young not even 30 yet so like the fact that you're in your 20s and you're out there seeking support which so many people wait till you know much much later in their life before they realize or they have a real wake-up call of some sort that takes them and, and myself included you know I talk quite openly about the fact that I, I probably needed support and didn't know how to get it until I was way into my you know late 30s early 40s so it's it's really really admirable and I wanted to commend you on that I know you find taking compliments really hard we've had this conversation earlier um you know I look at you you're an absolutely charismatic gorgeous young man and yeah you take you find it so difficult for me to say anything nice to you I was going to ask you that I worked in schools um I've been at social gatherings with other parents um and you know the ever-growing concern of eating disorders is always a topic that comes up. But I have to admit, in my own personal experience, that most of these conversations happen to be around and associated with girls. I personally, and I imagine, you know, probably others too, aren't even aware of how much of a concern this is among boys, possibly. I don't know if it's just me and my ignorance, but I'm, I'm so pleased that you're raising awareness about your journey and sharing your story so courageously. But I wanted to ask you, do you find a real difference between boys versus girls suffering from eating disorders or even other mental health concerns? Is it spoken about less or is it prevalent less or we just don't know about why is it that I don't know more about it? When you say to someone, you've got cancer, straight away, you know what that is. Straight away, you understand what that is. Straight away, you go, what stages it, etc. There's 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 an understanding of what that issue is, uh, how it's defined, or what it looks like, or what is the process. It's 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 it, it's openly spoken about, right? When you say to someone someone struggling with an eating disorder, no one understands what that means. First of all, right? And when most of the times, if they do have an idea, they normally think the first thing that they think is anorexia. The first thing that they think is is someone who's really really skinny and 
you know, is, is either not eating or bulimia is people who are like throwing it all up. And again, they, it's always associated with a certain body type. Think about an eating disorder. I actually did a did a did an interview with a psych, psychologist a while ago. But the thing about an eating disorder is that first of all, people that struggle with eating disorders come in every shape and size. Okay. That's the first stigma to kind of break, that it's not just Yeah, first stigma to break is they come in every shape or size. At the end of the day, an eating disorder can be defined by an unhealthy relationship with food, right? So, so or an uh, abnormal relationship with food, any kind of lack of control on the ability to eat. And I mean, I, again, I'm just really concerned about saying this sort of stuff because I want a professional to say this stuff, not me. But if you think about someone who's, who's struggling in the more severe forms, and again, you can't tell what the severe forms are from the size of someone. In whatever way someone's struggling with food, and I'm, and I'm going to use obesity as, as an example, right? Who, no one wants to be obese. No one wants to make a choice to be obese. There is almost so much like, there's just, just like, and it really bothers me because like, there's no empathy around it. When someone struggles with addiction, at least people are more empathetic towards it, right? At least. You know, I mean, and there there are play. It's it's a clear idea. Okay, you're struggling with addiction. There, you need rehab. You need support, etc. Right? And there's so much research around addiction, and and and, and in, in my personal experience, I find them quite similar in, in a weird way. I, I don't know if I can say that, but the the idea is first of all understanding that they come in different shapes sizes. Second of all, understanding that it comes from any kind of unhealthy relationship with food, abnormal ways like you know, eating eating beyond your your comfort, eating beyond your hunger not eating beyond your comfort or not eating beyond your hunger and then it, it, it a lot of times also correlates with things like dysmorphia like being unhappy about the way you look or being or feeling some kind of a pressure to look a certain way and uh unfortunately in the dance industry it, it's quite an image conscious industry it is it, it, it's 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 all about the way you look they should just be really careful that no external sources influence mm. the child's acceptance of themselves. I think that's one thing that I'm that I'm really passionate about. And that comes in all yeah. shapes and forms. Um, it comes in shapes of like in them being unhappy about the shape that they the, the shape they, they are. It comes in forms of like people being unhappy in the way that they dance. Like even as adults, I've had these experiences where like working with someone and trying to get them to like grow and develop and, and teach the movements and go and as an adult you go to dance to have fun you know what i mean rarely as an adult you go oh, i want to become a professional salsa dancer now or i'm going to become a professional you know ballroom dancer and i want to i want to spin the girl above my head 20 times right but there's like i even as, as an adult i've had experiences where people will be like can you fix me there's something wrong with the way i'm doing this i think you're right about the pressures they're insurmountable amount of pressure that I think if you if you are that person that has decided to make dance your life and to make it your profession and, and your be all end all, then in those situations to to look a certain way and the competition being so fierce, I imagine, that maybe people feel they have to resort to desperate measures in order to get ahead, in order to possibly make a success or prove something to their families or whoever else or to themselves. Is that fair to say? 100%. Yeah, I think um, 
and, and it's not just in dancing. It's a, in, it's in a lot of things. It's in performing arts. It's in acting. It's in, it's in singing. It's on any type of being on stage. It's in modeling. I see a lot of like models also who, who now are like, you know, socially dancing and stuff like that, who, who have messaged me about this sort of stuff. Yeah. I think in, in any of those sort of forms, right. Unfortunately, because those industries revolve around appearance quite a lot, right. It's, it's an image, they're image conscious industries, maybe less in terms of singing. And it's only recent years that people like Adele destigmatizing having to look you know, a certain way to be, to be a singer. But in terms of dance and, and modeling and stuff like that, obviously they're image conscious industries. And I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that if you're not going to be a model or if you're not going to be a ballet dancer, or you're not going to be a whatever dancer, that that's not it. You can have a positive impact. You can make the world a better place. You can, you can still live up to your potential and find happiness and, and meaning and value in other ways. And it's something that's really hard for, for teenagers, I think, to accept or understand. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to become an MBA star. I'm going to make it to the MBA. I'm going to become, and then and then I just didn't grow past 179 centimeters. And I'm like, my dreams are shattered, right? But then you find other ways of doing it. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think it's super, super important for parents to, to just assure their kids that, that if one doesn't work, another will. And if that doesn't work, another will. And and regardless of whether it works out or not, that you'll be loved and supported and you'll make an impact and you will be a valuable member. And that, that it's not like it's not a be all or end all, it's not a failure thing. Like I know so many, so many, so many dancers who've been like, Oh yeah. I I I I wanted to be a ballet dancer, but you know, I I couldn't because my hips were too big and 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 then I, and then they go and they study something that they don't want to study and they're working an office job and they carry this like hatred or this kind of like resentment I suppose yeah resentment that actually stops them from being able to to follow their dreams in other ways and follow a pursuit because it's like oh I failed at that now my punishment is to do something I don't like yeah and be miserable in every other aspect of my life as well. Hundred percent, yeah. So, yeah, I think again, um, especially for someone who's had a really rough upbringing, my my one thing is just be as loving and as accepting and supportive to your child, and you can still push them to to reach their potentials. You can still push them to work hard. You can still push them to 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 work beyond what they think they're capable of of achieving. But that doesn't mean that if it doesn't work, that it's 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 failed or it's not you know that's really inspiring and that's really helpful i think anyone listening will hopefully take a re- this is a good reminder i think we all want the best for everybody around us and those that we care for and love but sometimes the way we show it isn't always evident to our teens is it they they, they sort of need a gentle um, reminder all the time uh, and, and so do i as, as a mom myself speaking for myself listening to you speak about your dreams and things and I you know I'm learning a lot from what you're having to say um even from my own personal journey um and I and I, you mentioned things about you know to be really careful and to really sort of no, notice things about your children are there particular signs are there particular indicators that parents 
sort of look out before their kids head down some sort of really slippery slope and get themselves to a place of despair. And one of the reasons I started Elevate for tweens um, was because I think there's a lot of reactive support for girls that have gone, or, or, or boys as well, that have hit a really low point in their life and are in the middle of a really horrible time in terms of mental health and, and or well-being in whatever shape or form, whether that's academic or social. Um, and, and so there's a lot out there and I think that's wonderful and we're talking about it and we're doing a lot of things to support kids that are in, in the deepest, darkest parts of their upbringing. But I wonder, and my ethos really has been a bit like preventative medicine and fitness and health and what we do to keep ourselves living longer and healthier and we do we take lots of precautions, right? I want to do that for, for kids that are sort of 9, 10, 11, 12, but even before they get to this place of really going down a slope that they can't get up, you know, they're sort of then drowning in. Are there things that you think parents can put into place without thinking that they're overreacting? First of all, I just want to say this. I am equally as inspired by what you do. And I, um, I feel like if there was more people like you where I was growing up or when I was growing up, then I feel like I would have had a lot of a better experience. So I, my hat's off to you and I, I am, I'm very happy to be able to see this journey that you're going on to and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm an advocate of support as much as I can be in any way I can be for what you're doing because I, I relate to your mission and I Oh Artie you're going to make me cry saying that. Thank you for that lovely compliment. It means a lot. What you're doing is incredible. So with that so I think that one thing that I, I would probably be careful of is is being mindful when they're eating. Um Rather than rather than not so much when when you know when the screens and they kind of go into this like state of like I'm not in this experience of eating I'm I'm in the experience of following a journey and it's hap- and the eating is happening to me so it's it's it, that's that's one thing that I would and I would be um, careful of and uh, oh this is what I was going to say and this comes in every form of industry and every form of education and um. I'm going to make a, a bit of a controversial statement here, but I think tough love is, is a lot of crap. Um, any, anyone who practices, I think tough love. And when I say tough love, I don't, I don't mean putting in measures for your, for your kids to, to, to understand that there's consequences to their actions, but I mean tough love in terms of someone trying to practice their power over another person by, having tough love. I think a lot, a lot of times tough love is used as an expression to, to, to assert dominance and control. You see it as in dance teachers all the time. You see them destroy people's confidence and talk them down and try to create this, like create this, this sense of drive in them by, by starving them of compliments or starving them of, of support. And it actually has the worst adverse effect and doesn't serve anyone. And I just feel like it communicates your lack of your inability to be able to amicably help someone grow. Yeah. Without exerting power. Without exerting power, without trying to control, without trying to bring about negative emotions to, to, to drive growth and you hear all the time oh it's only tough love it's good for him it's good for him to learn it's good for her to do this it's and it's and i find that that awful because i think that goes a long way and i think 
the difficult thing about parenthood, and I have a lot of opinions on parenthood without being a parent. Um, What you're really trying to reiterate is that you would think that having boundaries is important, but how you insist upon those boundaries needs to be very carefully monitored. We learned that the most important job you'll ever have in your life is 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 parenthood. You know what I mean? Is is being in 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 charge of someone else's growth. And and you know, my heart goes out every time I see parents like 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 or like my friends who are doing a good job of parenting. My heart just warms up so well. Like spending time with their kids, doing things, investing into their growth, investing into the future. Like recently, my business mentor he has like three kids now. He's like, he's booked out this time in his calendar out where he can't do anything. I'm like, what's this? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm bike riding with my son to school and back. And I'm like, oh, how did that come about? He's like, he's gained a bit of weight. And I think it's, 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 I need to take responsibility for it. And then we need to exercise together. So I'm, I'm trying to do that. And leading by yeah, people and exercising with their kids. And I, I just, that warms my heart out. Yes, that's a really, really good reminder. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to end the interview on a more happy note. I know you didn't actually make it as an NBA professional basketball player, but you have made it as a dancer. Can you tell us what was the happiest time in your career as a dancer? Would you share that with us? My my most successful achievement was was winning a world title, but it's definitely not the most happiest experience. Uh, my happiest experience has probably just been... Um, you know, the, 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 these moments, right? And, and and thinking about it actually makes me really emotional. These moments where um, I, I work for a company called the Salsa Foundation, and um, they're a company that specialises in in introducing people to dance, people who've never danced before, introducing people to dance. So it, it, it's a place where people who've had no experience can go and take dance classes for the first time, and and they get to dance and and grow. And you see. And, and I mean, it's it's not a moment where you can say, but but seeing how much people grow in terms of feeling more confident, in terms of having more social ties, in terms of moving, exercising, and having fun at the same time, and then seeing them like really enjoy themselves when they're like, especially what I do is like I specialize in the music, and there's these moments where I see like people like hear the music and they know what they're doing to it and they there's this moment where you're like looking at the class and you see how many people are like dancing together and, and having fun and connecting and they're like grooving and it's just this moment where you're like i feel like i'm making an impact i feel like like i, I feel i feel i feel the joy that i'm providing and that's probably the the highlight of my career amongst you know i've seen seeing the people that i've trained go on stage and perform and overcome their fears that's 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 the thing that I get the most feeling like I've given back to the community and I think that's a very very great place to end the interview on such a high thank you Artia for sharing your story so bravely thank you so much thank you it's been incredible chatting to you thank you very much for having me and um, lots of love to everyone's listening Well, that's left me feeling quite emotional, I have to say. Thank you again to Artia Zandian for being so honest and so open and so brave and sharing his own story about the difficulties he faced as a young teenager. I hope you will be inspired to share 
some of these conversations with others. And I really hope that some of the things that we've shared today will resonate and help others who might need it. Thank you so much for tuning in and being part of our conversation today. I cannot wait to have you join me again next time. Until then, have a good week. Bye for now.